Okay, as we study 1 Peter, we're in chapter 3 today, and we're going to rush in to a place where angels fear to tread. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, hear the word of the Lord. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. This is the word of God. So, in this part of the book of First Peter, Peter starts off by talking about the glory of our salvation. He says, you've been eternally loved by the Father. You've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. You're going to inherit an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and it will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You are protected by the power of God through faith. And when trials come, God is working in your life to build a life that will result in praise and glory and honor when Christ comes again. And behold, the full revelation of God, which is found in the person and the work of Christ. And so he just rehearses time after time the glory of the gospel of grace, the wonder of the Trinitarian nature of God. And then we get to chapter 2, verse 11, where he starts making application. And then he says in verse 12, which is, which is a kind of a theme verse regarding application in these areas. He says, keep your conduct among the non-believers or Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation or on the day when he comes to their lives and he visits them with salvation. So, so live in such a way that you honor the Lord. And then he goes through several different areas. Theologically, we call this sphere sovereignty, which means God calls us to different places of obedience in different relationships at different times in our lives. And he talks about verses 13 to 17, our response to the governing authorities. And, and he says this, this is God's will, verse 15, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but live as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. In other words, the emperor is on the same footing with everyone else but they're still to be honored because God has called them to this office and they're made in the image of God. So, so I, I just, we step back from this and we make application in, in this regard. I, I, I say to you, uh, 
as men and women who are followers of Christ, do not be prey to or fall to the culture of incivility that marks our days. It is a great concern to me that a man who is a former attorney general of the United States, who I think is an honorable man, had to have a bodyguard to speak at Northwestern University last week. A great school, one of the top schools in our nation. Um, that, that's a concern for me. It is, it's, we call it the culture of um, the cancel culture. If, I, if you don't want to say what I want to hear, I don't want to even listen to you. That's so wrong. It's, it's a great concern to me that the president goes to a World Series game and he's booed at the World Series. He's the president. It's a great concern to me that when he ran in 2016 that at the rallies, the people would chant about the current Secretary of State, lock her up, lock her up. This is, this is wrong. And I'm telling you, as followers of Christ have nothing to do with that. You honor everyone. You honor the emperor. You love the brotherhood and you, fear, you walk in the fear of God. So, so th this, is, this is just... And then the next fear he talks about are household slaves, not the chattel slavery that we experienced in the U.S., but more household slaves. Some of them were physicians and others who'd fallen into hard times and they were part of a household. And, and, and Peter says about these people, he says, even if you're a master or the owner of the estate is, is not a good guy, you, you, you live in such a fashion that you silence the foolish talk of ignorant people. And you continually entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. And so I look at this and I say, well, by way of application, in your jobs, in your jobs, show up on time, have a good attitude, put in a full day of work, don't gossip, don't put people down, and you'll shine like the stars in the universe. Just do the right thing as a believer. We have nothing to do with a culture that belittles and puts down and is involved in all types of shenanigans. We just don't do it. And, and then he talks about, he takes a, a, it's really a break and he says, consider the example of Jesus Christ. He lived this way. He didn't re, re, bring threats when he was threatened. He didn't retaliate. He entrusted himself to the father who judges justly. That's the way he lived, and you're to follow in his steps. And so he starts verse 1 with this verse, or this word, likewise. Next week, the men are going to hear the passage. Verse 7, the same word, likewise. Now, the likewise points back to the example of Christ. As you consider the example of Christ, this week, wives. Next week, husbands. Live this way. So this sphere sovereignty in the home. And he starts off saying this is likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands or come under the authority of your servant leader, your husband, so that even if some of them do not obey the word. So what he's saying is there, there are some, some of the wives in the church were married to men who did not obey the word. They had rejected the gospel. So some of them. Even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct or your, poor, your pure conduct lived in the fear of the Lord. So what is it? He presupposes they've heard the gospel. 
It says, even if some don't obey the word, they've heard the gospel. They've heard the gospel. So, so they've, heard the, they've heard the gospel. So wives, it is your responsibility to, to live with these unbelieving men in such a fashion that your life preaches the gospel. It's a powerful statement. You live in such a fashion that you hold forth the reality of Christ. And so you look at this and, and we go to chapter two, verse three, because you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. Whenever I read the Bible and I think about the character of God, I remember the prayer I was taught as a child. Now I'll lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Or part of our table prayer. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. So I start with this. God is great. He's glorious. And he's good. So I, I, I think about as I, as I come to these hard places, and this is a hard place. I think about the fact that God is for us and he's given us his word. And I think about some of his promises. Uh, I, th I think about, for example, Psalm 23 that says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy will hunt me down. Uh, I think of Jeremiah 29, written to a group of people who are in exile, a group of Jews in exile because of their disobedience. Their kingdom has fallen and they're in exile, going to be there for 70 years. And the Lord sends them a letter that says this, I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And, and, and then you will call out to me and come to me and pray to me and I will hear you and you will find me and seek me when you seek me with all of your heart. That, that God's plans for us, brothers and sisters, is not for destruction, but for hope and a future. Or I think of uh, Matthew 7, where Christ says that to a group of well-meaning parents, if you then, though you are evil parents, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who call upon him? How much more? Three chapters later, Jesus says, two sparrows are sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground without your Father's knowledge. Take heart. You're more important than many, many birds. In fact, God has numbered the hair upon your head. Or Romans 8, where Paul rehearses our salvation, and he says, if God is for us, who in the world can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will not also along with him graciously give us all things. So you, you just, you run to the greatness and the goodness of God. There's a book titled Under the Mercy, the first book was A Severe Mercy, a great book by a guy named Vinokin, how he came to faith. In the second book, he says this, I thought it was interesting. He said, we are, I think, so made that our greatest happiness is in doing God's will. I believe that. If I am right, those who rebel against God do not find either joy or happiness except momentarily, for they are rebelling against happiness itself. So we start by saying, behold the goodness of the Lord. And, and you look at this passage, and the question is, how, how are wives supposed to live this way? Well, the answer is continually entrusting themselves to him who judges justly. But so I'm going to give a foundation and a structure and then an application. So the foundation is this. We live this way as we hope in God and continually trust him instead of giving way to fear. Verses five and six. 
Again, it says this, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. By submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You are her children if you do good and do not give fear to anything that is frightening. You either, we, we hope in God, she hoped in God, or we give way to fear. We continue to trust ourselves to him who judges justly or give, our, give way to fear. Let me say this, there are lots of things out there that can cause fear. And three years ago, USA Today did a survey of 2,500 people just a few weeks before the general election of 2016. They said, what are your greatest fears? And this is, these are some of the results that came out. I'll give you a couple of examples. Number one is corruption of officials. 60.6% said they feared that before the election. 41% feared terrorist attacks. The next was 39.9% having not enough money for the future. 38.5% being a victim of terror. Next, 38.5% government restrictions on firearms and ammunition. 38.1% people I love dying. And just stop. Just think about that. Is that kind of weird to you? Oh, I thought it was funny. I mean, I, I, you fear not having enough ammunition more than you fear a loved one dying. I don't want to meet those people. I don't want those people in my family either. That's kind of weird. You know what I mean? Anyway, I thought that was interesting. Um, financial collapse, 37.5. Identity theft, 37%. I live with somebody. Okay. People I love becoming seriously ill, 35%. The Affordable Care Act, 35.5%. Another study I did talked about things that people fear. Okay, yeah. Good. So these are things that people fear. Ready? Number 10 is the fear of bacteria and germs. All you mothers say amen to that, don't you? Uh, number eight would be social situations, stranger danger. Seven are medical procedures that involve injections or hypodermic needles. Six, lightning and thunder. I, I, that's fine. I, I've just never feared lightning and thunder. Is anybody here fear lightning and thunder? Raise your hands. Okay, thank you, Kelly. Thanks for being honest. Anybody else? Okay, down here. All right, good. All right, thank you. Thank you. I was just talking. Dogs. A lot of people fear dogs. I have a wonderful administrative assistant. I thought I told her to put up a picture of a ferocious dog. <laughs> I don't. I didn't communicate. That, that's. And I, I, when I saw that, when I saw that picture, I, she has a Boykin Spaniel. We had a Boykin Spaniel for 16 years, a great dog. And I just thought of a story that has nothing to do with the sermon, but I want to tell you the story. So just take a break. I'll come back, take a break. So we had a Boykin Spaniel. We're sitting on the beach one day, Sarah and I are just having a great day. And the, our Boykin Spaniel was there. She was wonderful. Her name was Coco. So, and, and so a busload of older women, elderly women, barely making it on the beach, parked. And they came down to the beach to see the Atlantic Ocean. And as we talked, I mean, one of them came over and said, said, oh, what a beautiful dog. And I said, thank you. I said, this is the state dog of South Carolina. She said, are you kidding me? I said, no. This is... And she said, Myrtle, get over here. 
And she said, this is the state dog of South Carolina. And I, I didn't, and all, three or four other women came. They said, we're so privileged to see the state dog of South Carolina. And I didn't, I, I thought, I don't want to embarrass her. I said, no, it's the breed. It's not, here she is, Miss State Dog of South Carolina, that type of thing. But anyway, so fear, fear of dogs. People fear dogs. Fear of flying. Fear of heights. The most common fear in this area is fear of snakes. Indiana Jones. Fear of spiders and scorpions. Another list, fear of speaking in public, fear of the dark, fear of commitment, and fear of rejection. I mean, my whole point is that there are a lot of things, a lot of things to fear. But either we walk in fear, according to this passage, or we entrust ourselves to our Abba Father and we live with hope. And that's the way a godly woman lives. That's the way godly people live. We live with hope. There's a verse in Proverbs 31, and it says this, verse 26, it says, strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. She's trusting the Lord. She, a godly woman says, I, I know this, at the end of the day, I can trust the Lord. I'm one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 11, where it says there are people that are shooting at you from the, the shadows and the arrow is going to pierce you. And when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the godly do except flee to the mountains? And the Psalmist says, you forget one thing, God is on his throne. He's God. He can be trusted. He rules in my life. I will not give way to fear. I'm going to trust him. Where I think of Psalm 127, a well-known psalm that says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. In vain do they rise up early and go late to rest, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So, so tonight when your head hits the pillow, you say, Lord, I am trusting you with my life and I pray you'd give me sweet sleep because you're God and you watch over me. I'm your child by faith in the work of the cross. So, so in, I look at this godly woman, either she, in this text, you hope in God and you can only trust yourself to him or you fear. And as you do that, you continually do good. For the text says, you do good. I love Acts 10, 38. This says, Jesus went about doing good. So I look at this and I say to us, I say, first of all, husbands and wives in the home, moms and dads, children with unbelieving parents, you make sure they hear the word. It says some of them don't obey the word. So they've heard the word. They're just going... Not for me. And but then you make sure that you live it out in such a fashion that Christ is evident in your life. You live it out in such a fashion that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You do, I mean, I, I, if you have kids, raise your kids in such a fashion, they see you taking food to people who are hurting. They see you sitting up with people who are sick. They see you caring for your neighbors. They see you involved in, in things that where Christ is honored and the, the way you treat people. They, they, they see it. Just do good. And then as you lay that foundation of, of hope and continually trusting, then you build upon it 
with, with, with this statement. Listen to verses three and four. Do not let your adornment be external. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold, or the wearing of clothing. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. I'm gonna when I read that and I think, when I read something that's very precious in the sight of the eternal God who made the heavens and the earth, I'm gonna go, stop, stop. What is very precious in God's sight? Why is this a precious thing in God's sight? What is it? Well, a gentle and quiet spirit. And, and, and it just doesn't mean that the wife is or the woman is, is not doing things. And quiet means humble. Gentle means doesn't give way to disruptive rancor. In other words, she's trusting the Lord. She's, she's, she's humble and she's gracious in the way that she does things. So this... So I say that the adornment of a godly woman is the ultimate weight in her heart, which is an imperishable beauty, which is an incredible, precious sight in the, in the sight of God. But just, just think about that. Young people, think about that. And so ultimate weight, ultimate weight, gentle, quiet, free from rancor, trust in the Lord humble. To say the least, we live in a culture that doesn't value that. Um, before I give this illustration, I have not seen these things, okay? I have not seen them, so don't think, oh gosh, I haven't seen them. But I've seen advertisements on these shows called The Housewives of so there's a show called The Housewives of Orange County, California. They're in their 13th season. Now, do I understand the way TV shows go? Sometimes my wife and I will be watching a TV show. We really, really, really like this. Canceled. Phooey. So somebody has been watching these shows for 13 years. It's called the Nielsen ratings. I mean, somebody out there is watching these shows and going, man, this is good stuff. From what I've been able to understand, doing a little bit of reading, there's a group of women who, well, who, well, it's just a group of women who are trying to act like they're 13 when they're 89. You know, it's just ridiculous. So you got the, the Housewives of Orange County, the Housewives of D.C., the Housewives of Washington, the Housewives of Orlando, the Housewives of uh, Dallas, the Housewives of New York, the Housewives of New Jersey. Good grief. This year, the rumor is the Housewives of the upstate South Carolina may be coming on. That's a joke. I didn't mean that for sure. But, you, know, but, but you, you, you read these things, and, and, and I'm, 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 I'm quite serious here. I think it is a foretaste of hell. In this regard, I think hell will be full of entertainment that has no meaning and no hope because there's no God in it. A lot of these shows, there's no concept of, of anything that's beyond the next breakfast or the next party. You see, that's the culture you live in. Right now only, grab it right now. And this is not the culture of the Bible. The Bible says, 
and imperishable beauty of gentle and quiet spirit. There's nothing wrong with looking nice. It doesn't say you don't have nice hair. It doesn't say you don't wear gold jewelry. It doesn't say you don't wear clothing. Thank you for wearing clothing this morning, everybody. So, so thank you for that. But it, what it says is that that is not ultimate in your life. And you live in a culture that elevates beauty to the nth degree. And I mean, how many times have you heard, hey, 70 is the new 45, baloney. 70 is 70. There's only so much time you can put stuff on stuff before it just droops. It is. Or you hear, hey, hey, 40 is the new 25. No, it's not. It really isn't. It's a lie. You're going to get old. You're going to die. Have a good day. I mean, really? So I'm just, I look at this and I go, G -g come on. Sometimes you say, hey, hey, man, don't sweat that stuff. I thought about a woman in the Old Testament named Jezebel, an immoral woman, a murderess, an adulteress. She, entered, she propagated the worship of Baal and the Asherah pole, which probably meant that she participated in slitting the throats of children at the altar and watching them bleed to death to pacify her God. Or the Asherah pole invited or was centered around, in part, immoral behavior as a form of worship. She was a bad, wicked woman. At the end of her life, she's being pursued by God's agent of wrath, a guy named Jehu. And he's going he's to he's put, put an end to her life. And she's an older woman. Listen to this. When Jehu, this is 2 Kings chapter 9. When Jehu came to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. And she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out of the window. And as Jehu entered the gate, she said, is that you, you murderer of your master? And he lifted up his face to the window where she sat. And he said, who is on my side? Who? And two or three eunuchs or court men, men in the court, two or three eunuchs looked out of the window at him and, and he said to them, throw her down. So they threw her down. And some of her blood splattered on the wall and on the horses and they trampled her to death. That's the way she died. Now think about it. Jehu's coming to kill you. Your sorry life is coming to a sordid end. What do you do? Let's go to the beauty parlor and fix our hair. Let's get a pedicure and a manicure. Let's go to the, 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 the to Belk and get, you know, the free makeup put on. You know, this, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be dead in three hours. Hey, let's look good. Really? Really? That's her mindset. That's the sad Her mindset is it's no big deal. I'm going to be dead. I thought about a book I read years ago about when the Nazis, Hitler, May of 1945, he's in a bunker three or four stories down in Berlin. And he realizes all hope is gone. And so Hitler shoots his new bride and then shoots himself and they burn his bodies and her body. 
And there was a woman there who's a stenographer, and she's taking all these notes. And she said, I got to get out of here. The Soviets are coming, and we know what happens when the Soviets catch you. And so she ran upstairs, and she headed west as hard as she could go to be captured by the British or, or the Americans. And she said as she went up, there were two floors of people who were minions of Hitler. And, and instead of fleeing, their God was dead. So they're involved in drunkenness and immorality because they knew the time was coming. I mean, you, the, the Russians are coming. I mean, the Soviets are coming. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm going to try to get out of there or I'm going to get right with God, do something. But see what happens. You, 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 get, you get dead to that stuff. Like Jezebel, you just get dead to that stuff. So foundation, you hope in God versus fear. Build on imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And then the application is in your home, you honor the servant leadership of your husband. Verses five and six. Just as Sarah submitted herself to, to Abraham. There's a statement on, on submission here. It's from the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, our organization I love. And it says this, at the heart of mature femininity is the freeing disposition. See, it's fierce sovereignty in the home. The freeing disposition to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in ways appropriate to a woman's differing relationships. It's a freeing disposition. John Piper says, it's a disposition to follow and an inclination to yield. Now, let me just make a little statement here. This definition is a wonderful definition. My problem is with the word worthy describing men. Um, quite frankly, every woman here who is married is married to someone who's a sinner. I, um, I, I, there are many times I'm not worthy. There are many times I make bad decisions. There are many times that Sarah sees a pretty seedy side of who I am. So, so I, I'm saying that even even when you're married to, to guys that are not worthy, unless they ask you to violate scripture or your conscience as you study the Bible, you place yourself in a place of support for their servant leadership. Which, which means that um, you look at this passage, it says you respect them. Ephesians 5.33 says, wives respect your husbands. And next week, I'm going to talk to the men, and I'm going to go hard next week. But wives, respect your husbands. Um, respect, for, for as, as a husband, should be a pursuit that you want to earn, but the wife gives it freely. And then it gives an example of Sarah and Abraham. And it's very interesting. If you've studied the book of Genesis, Abraham was was not always worthy. I mean, Abraham at times was, to be honest with you, a loser. 
I mean, on two different occasions, they're going into a foreign country and the king is, has no fear of God. And Sarah must have been one good-looking woman. And twice he looks at her, not once, but twice. And Sarah, you know, the king here really likes women and he's got a harem and you're good looking. He wants you to be in his harem. And he realizes that to really make it a done deal, if you're married, he'll probably kill your husband. That would be me. So I'm going to ask you as we go into this land that if you don't mind, if you just tell him you're my sister. Okay. Between you and me, my sister, we'll, we'll work it out after. Just so I won't have this. Just tell him you're my sister. And you know what she does it. What do you call that? Loser. Okay, loser. And he says, you know, she called him Lord. That doesn't mean you wake up in the morning. It can be translated master. If you're married, you wake up in the morning and look over at your beloved and say, master, what do you want me to do today? That's not, that was just a cultural thing, okay? But it, but it does mean you, you, you pray for them, you stand beside them, and you encourage them. Now let me go into something else real quickly. This is a continuum right here. So, mid-20s, early 30s would be the time. I, I call this uh, the, the time of, of embracing, or early 20s to mid, mid, early 30s, the time of embracing an idealistic hope, very idealistic. And, and then you get over here, you get to the late 30s and the 40s, and I just call this the, whoa, what happened? Uh, you, you hit up something called um, life and the enchanting garden isn't what you thought it would be. And then you hit your 50s and it's your late 50s, early 60s, and you say life is kind of overrated and underperforming. And then you get to your mid-60s and later and, and you have to fight cynicism. So I'm going to plead with you guys, since most of you are very young, be very careful about being unbiblically idealistic and the rest of those of us who are a little older, push back against cynicism. Don't let cynicism rob you. Go forward. Be bold. Love Jesus. Know that he's changing you, okay? So don't throw in the towel. But first of all, let's talk about this group. So this group, a lot of, these, a lot of, a lot of people here um, are, are I, I love you. A lot of you come from non-Christian homes. And you come to faith in Jesus. And you're going, yes. And you think, man, my mom and dad... They're either divorced, had a bad marriage or whatever. When I get married, we're going to have a perfect marriage. I mean, it's going to be clear skies and a soft breeze and the cells are up and the humidity's 35% and the seagulls are singing and it's just sweet. You got the Beach Boys on the disc. I mean, it's just good. And, 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 that's, and, and you get married and you're your marriage day, everybody's happy and they're high-fiving you and people say, man, this is great. I'm so happy for you. Hug, hug, hug. This is great. Here's a gift. Here's another crock pot, whatever. And, 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 and so you start that way and about, I'm not, I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but a few months into marriage you go, not what I was thinking. Didn't, didn't, this isn't quite working out like I thought it was going to. You know what? You're married to somebody that's not perfect. They're a sinner. But see what happens instead of pushing back and pushing forward and, and going to re-engage 
and learning how to work together and work through difficulties and stay inside your hula hoop and, and being kind and being forgiven. You, you just kind of, you, you do the T-berry shuffle and you go through life and says, well, we're going we're gonna to make do with the best we can and we're going to hang in there because we're believers. Don't, don't settle for that. Don't have expectations up here, but then don't settle for this. So I, the other, a few years ago, I was talking to my son, who was just a, a joy to me. And he said this to me. He said, Dad, I want to thank you. I want to thank you and Mom for hanging in there these years. I went, hanging in there? That's the best you can do about our marriage? You hung in there, Dad. And poor old Mom, she was dealt a horrible hand and she just gritted through it, man. I thought, well, I hope you say that thanks, the, our, our home was fun and y'all loved each other and it was, it, was, it was good most of the time. You had bad days, but hanging in there. Man, I want people to say more about our marriage than you hung in there. So, so that, that's my plea. So, so as you think about this, I mean, Press into the kingdom of God in your marriage. It's a disposition to follow and an inclination to yield. It is a, it's a, it's continually adorning yourself with, with the mind and the person of Christ so that your, your, your behavior will be true and strong and gracious and full of the reality of Jesus who continually entrusts himself to the Father. Now, some of you are going, you know, so... What, what do we do? Here's, here's, seriously, here's what I think. I think we are the community of Christ. If you've been married for four or five months or two or three years, find somebody that's been married for 15 or 20 years and say, can we, or, or more than that, can we talk through, the, we've hit these issues. You all, we all hit the same roadblocks. Every person here hits the same roadblocks. I promise you, you hit the same roadblocks. And I can give you what they are, but I embarrass some people here. I won't do that. But it does involve communication. It does involve intimacy. It does involve children. It does involve money. It does involve God help us in-laws. It does involve those things. But everyone here deals with those. And you say, how did you work through these things? That's what the body of Christ is. Celebrate community. And celebrate the goodness of the Lord. And listen, live in such a fashion that when people see your life, whether you're in the home, married to an unbeliever, or in the community, working, or, or responding to governmental authorities, that, that you live in such a fashion as they look at your life, they say there's something different about them that's unique and wonderful. And, 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 and just share Jesus with people. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Um, uh, just so good to open the Bible. And, and be able to read a text. And even when it gets under our skin and it's troubling at times, like this text can be, it's clear. It's, it's really clear. Uh, I, I pray that you give us wonderful partnerships in our homes. Uh, and I pray you'd make uh, men live in such a fashion that they can represent Christ and be servants and good decision makers after all has been said and done. I pray for the women in our church, whether they're married or unmarried, that there would be an imperishable beauty in their hearts of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in your sight is very precious. Wow. So thank you for that. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the mercy of the gospel in Jesus' name.
Amen.